0: Hello, very warm welcome back to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, where I speak one-on-one to all sorts of interesting people and we've got a bit of a a common theme running well here, a bit of momentum behind strong women, because I've had Amy Fuller and off the back of her I've had Kelly Holmes and her unbelievable story of heartache and triumph against adversity. Um, I want to thank... Kelly, again, for being so honest and open. Um, yeah, that meant a huge amount to a lot of people I know. The feedback already has been incredible. So thank you, Kelly. Um, and next up, another strong woman who is smashing it in broadcasting. Um, she's done loads of great entertainment television as well, but you know her best for being a child tennis prodigy. I am, of course, talking about Annabel Croft. She felt destined to join the tour as young as 14 years old, and she worked incredibly hard to fulfil her immense promise and potential. The reality of it, though, was a demanding and often lonely life away from home, which would be tough for anyone, let alone a teenager. But it helped her grow up, and uh, she's got some really interesting stories from that. Uh, She's gone on, of course, to become a household name for her brilliant punditry, I have to say, that she describes and explains the game so well. So she also dedicates a little section on this podcast to telling us about future talent, who we should be looking out for, which is really cool for all of us tennis fans. Uh, There is so much more to this mum of three than you might expect or imagine. So here she is to explain more. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Annabelle Croft. So here we are. (laughs) And what a Glorious day it is, Annabelle. The sun is shining, it feels like summer, although when you go outside you realise just how cold it is. Um what do you do in these winter months when you can't necessarily, or at least the
1: nation's minds aren't on tennis in the same way? Yeah, well I've just finished my last um bit of tennis coverage, so that was at the O2, and on a day like today I've been into my favourite place in the world, which is Richmond Park. And honestly, as you say, it's the most beautiful morning. Um, They don't come much better than this, do they? Because really? you look outside, it's blue skies, sunshine, but very crisp. And the, the park was just misty. It's very magical in there at this time of year. And the deer are out and being for a beautiful walk around the lakes. And I just love... I just love switching off everything. I love to just get out there in the fresh air, go for a long walk. Um, I still keep up my own tennis a little bit just to try and um, keep my eye in. Like I played yesterday, I'm playing tomorrow. I um, try and do as much kind of yoga, sort of like stuff that just switches off everything, just to find calmness again because it's quite a busy year.
0: I was going to say, because you do seem incredibly busy.
1: Whenever I turn the TV on, you're on
0: it. (laughs) Tennis is... Well, it, it feels constant. I know that it, everybody talks about the big surge around Wimbledon, that everybody's attention goes back to tennis. But you are constantly working, it seems at least. So you do actually genuinely get a bit of time off over christmas and new year
1: yeah i think this is my time to really switch off and pr- pretty much as you say i follow the tennis tour so you know having not been on it for many years it's weird how i've gone back mm. to doing exactly what i was doing when i was younger but following the tennis tour in a completely different um way um but the tennis tour does finish in sort of november time mm. and uh yeah so this is my time just to completely downtime spend time with my kids as much as possible and as i said to sort of get back to just peace time and shutting down and i love it i really really love it i feel like life is um it's too hectic for everybody Mm. and i think with everything that's going on with social media and everybody just constantly and i'm guilty of it too just attached to your phones and constantly checking it and looking at it which i can't stand um you know a big part of me wants to come back to my youth which we didn't have any of that stuff and um you know, I am a bit confused as to where life is at at the moment with mm. all of that social media and all this liking business and constantly checking and Instagram. And I'm yeah. a bit out of date with all of it. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not um, 100% thrown into it because mm. I'm a different generation. But it is confusing times for mm. people who never grew up with any of it. Well, talking of
0: growing up, you did have a, a pretty different childhood to most. And your experience, I guess, of the tour at such a young age threw you into a whole different world but you you retired from tennis so young as well didn't you at 21 which is crazy you know most people are just embarking on a career at 21 and you you had a sort of monumental shift just just cast your mind right back to when it all began whose idea was it was it was it so driven by your parents why did you want to become a tennis player
1: um You know, when I was a child, I was very, very active. My mum always said that I exhausted not only my parents, but every child that ever came to play with me, I was just (laughs) running around like some nutcase. And um, no one could ever keep up with my energy levels. And so I did gymnastics at school. I did ballet quite seriously um, from about age 4 to 12. I did horse riding. I was, you know, just running around like a ma- I just needed to use my body mm. and just, you know, use it to get rid of some of this energy. And it was literally on a family holiday. I um, was put into like a little group that was running at the, te- at the hotel that we were staying at in Marbella in Spain. And I just loved it. I can still remember the very first time I picked up the racket. How and old were you? Nine. Wow. Which by today's standards would quite, be quite late. Yeah, because yeah, normally they're about four or five today. But back then that was kind of normal. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I think probably because the coach was so funny. You know, I think um, humor is such a big part of life, isn't it? And yeah. humor can really attract kids. You know, kids have humor. Babies have humor. Yeah, 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 Um, You know, and I think he was really great fun. And I just loved it. And I came home. I like bombarded my mum repeatedly so I really wanted to continue playing and she found a local tennis club which had a similar setup where there was uh, um actually a female coach which uh, you know you're always going on about there aren't enough female coaches mm. but I had a female coach that was doing this sort of um Week session, Monday to Friday, 50p it was, um, which I remember distinctly taking my 50p in the pocket. And it was a group session, boys and girls. And I loved it. And it was just like forehands on a Monday, backhands on the Tuesday, learning to volley on the Wednesday. And I remember these disgusting orange sweatbands that she gave out as prizes. And I was so desperate to win one of them. <laughs> I look back on it, it was absolutely horrible. But um, yeah, as was um, a sign
0: that you were doing well. It was yeah, a me of yourself. And also,
1: again, she had amazing humour, yeah. the teacher. She had amazing humour and it attracted everybody. It was just, I just remember the, all the boys and girls just giggling and laughing together. And, you know, there's a part of me when I keep hearing about how, you know, we have to s- sort of like do everything. You know, girls have to have their separate thing going on. And I think, no, you know, tennis mm. for me back then, and I know Billie Jean King has talked about this a lot, um, it should be about boys and girls together. And that's why tennis is actually really great because you can play. Boys can play, girls can play, you can play mixed doubles. And it's about learning together. Yeah. And I, I, to me, that was a big part of my youth was actually I was at an all-girls school, which I never sent my kids to a, um, one-sex schools. I actually probably, because I was at an all-girls school, I wanted them to be mixed. Um, but that was my time to have fun with the boys and mm. learn how boys were and how they you know it's a different thing isn't it yeah, they have yeah. a different humor they have a different um attitude to everything so anyway I um I really loved those sessions and then uh life became quite complicated because you know if you're doing ballet twice a week and then suddenly tennis has been introduced and I was riding I do remember my parents saying to me you know you're gonna have to choose what you want to do because we can't just keep this up and so what age were you at that point Um, I think I was about 11 Mm. and I had a brother and a sister and of course you know I've got three uh, kids myself so I think um, anyone who's got kids knows how hectic life is and you've got to try and get a balance right for the whole Mm -hmm. family and so I, I look back now and I surprise myself that I chose tennis because a part of me regrets that I just cut ballet completely because it was um it was so beautiful and mm. it was so good for you and there's a part of my soul that's still connected to ballet in a big way mm. but um yeah but i did choose tennis and so then everything else went went by the wayside and then suddenly i was just tunnel vision into tennis and then that was it then i was sent off on this um this journey that just kind of snowballed and i didn't really have time to stop it it just kind of kept going and um You know, I look back, it's like, wow, what happened to life? It went so fast from that moment.
0: Another chance to win on In The Pink. Tag Hoya are giving away four Premier League tickets of your choice for 2020. So all you need to do is rate, review, subscribe. Make sure that you review on Apple Podcasts and our Instagram page. We will pick a comment, a review, some feedback, and you could be walking away. The proud owner of four Premier League tickets to a game of your choice and was that a kind of conscious decision on your part or was it a natural process because you were so talented it it was just it's kind of
1: yeah meant I, to be almost you know, part of me thinks now as a much much older person in my 50s now um that oh, way, you do not look in your oh, 50s I, I definitely I that. Well, but more I, of that later <laughs> oh I definitely feel it but um I think when you're young and like you say if you show a little bit of promise for something mm. you kind of get you know channeled up, quite rightly so and I was obsessed about it so you know that's the way I was going but you don't really think about where it's taking you, or what, and probably rightly so. You're just following this dream. Um, so, what was your dream at that stage? Did you, did you
0: actually think you could make a career out of this? I just thought or
1: did you just loved it. I just loved it, and um, I just loved hitting the ball, and I loved competing and playing. Um, but weirdly, it's strange how then, when I then became a professional tennis player, and I was doing everything that I'd set out to be suddenly I didn't um, love it so much because mm. um, the competitive side of it is utterly ruthless. And I think my personality just wasn't cut out for that, to live my life by being utterly ruthless on a tennis court every single day. So, you know, maybe I loved the the feeling of like... I, I think tennis is very artistic. It's very athletic. Balletic almost. It's almost balletic. It's... Um, You know, there's a part of your, I always say this as a part of your character that goes into how you play and then you have to go into combat. So it's like being very antagonistic with an opponent, which is the side that as a professional tennis player, I wish I'd understood how to separate that a little bit more. But of course, in those days when I was on the tour, there wasn't sports psychology around, um... In fact, um, a coach or a a travel partner actually that I was working with at the time, she sent me off to a a psychiatrist in Harley Street who was actually a marriage guidance counsellor and I was age 18. But she said, oh, you know, go and talk to him because he might be able to help you kind of understand what you're trying to do with tennis. So I had many sort of hypnotherapy sessions with him at the age of 18 Um, But, of course, you know, in those days, they just weren't sports psychologists. And I learned an enormous amount from him about uh, relationships and people. And and it was fascinating. But, um, you know, I do look back and think I wish I'd had a little bit more help Mm. psychologically to try to separate what I was doing and this antagonistic Mm. kind of combat side, the gladiatorial side from just the sheer joy of playing tennis because a lot of that was lost when I was trying to do it professionally.
0: it seems such a shame. Do you think if you had had that intervention at that point, your career would have lasted longer? Would you have
1: retired Uh, as young as you did? You know... I get asked so many times about why did you stop at 21 and of course at 21 I'd already led the life of somebody 35 Mm. because I would traveled the world many many times gone round the globe round around around and you know I'd been living in a very adult world from a very young age so I was dealing with um, sponsors and lawyers and managers and coaches and agents and you know it's a very adult world very very quickly but it's a bubble world and it's like a circus world and you know nothing else about life. And, you know, as I'm back in that world now on the other side of it, in the media side, and I see so many young people coming onto to the tour and I, um, I wish that I could show them a little bit more about life outside it because I think that until you leave the tour and then you become a, more of a human being that understands life... I I think it's impossible to understand what you're actually doing on it. You almost you're Mm. in a tunnel and uh, in a bubble.
0: Do you think you would, there, you any of us would be better at performing if they did understand the wider context?
1: Um, I think for some people. I mean, you can't generalise really, Mm. can you? But certainly for me, I think I would have understood a lot more about what I was trying to do on the tennis court if I had had the the outlook on life that Mm. I now have. But I only was able to do that by coming out of it and living a normal life and having a normal social life and having friends, actually. Mm. Because on the all-women's tennis tour that I was on, it's really difficult to have friends. And um, I I often wonder that, actually,
0: about the tennis tour and most sports, because the people you're competing against, you know... Or well, your opponents. Yeah, they're so, your opponents. So, but they're your only kind of yeah. chance of having a mate. Yeah. And then you're up against them and you've kind of got to compartmentalise,
1: yeah. well, haven't you? You do. And I had a few friends uh, who I have reconnected through the media world, actually. Mm. But, um, you know, you would find yourself at dinner occasionally and just sort of letting your guard down and saying, opening up emotionally to them about how you were mm. feeling about life on the tour. And they might have the same feelings. But then I'd find I was playing them the next week and I'm like, oh, God you know, I've, I've told them everything I'm going through emotionally. And now, now I'm, I'm weakened by that by telling them, Mm. but, um, you know, it's all a journey, isn't it? And in the big picture of life, tennis is just such a small part of life. And, you know, with everything that's going on in the, in the world, you think, wow, it was, I, I never regret any of it. I never for one minute regret anything that I did on the tour. I don't regret ever trying to be a professional tennis player and um i had the most amazing time traveling i loved the cultures that i was experiencing and actually i think when people look into the tennis world and they see that glamour side with wimbledon us open australian open french open what have you and you think oh wow hotels five star this that and the other but actually the reality of what i was doing was staying in digs and staying with Mm. host families that i'd never met before And actually, I loved it because that was my chance to have a tiny piece of normality. It helped enormously with the expenses because it's incredibly expensive um, to travel around the world. Mm. And of course, in those days, the money wasn't as great as it is now. Um, So, you know, there's many positives that I look back on all of it. And I don't regret stopping age 21, but I regret that I wasn't able to do it with the outlook on life that I have now. Yes, because
0: presumably the talent was there at 21 it was just perhaps the the mind wasn't
1: yeah you know, and maybe you, did you feel no okay
0: did you did you feel like you'd fallen out of love with it at that stage
1: um was that the I don't think I've ever ever fallen out of love with tennis because I've still it's such a huge part of my life and it's like the been the biggest thing in my life and it's given me so many opportunities but I fell out of love with having to go on court and compete against somebody and I know loads of people quote me on this all the time because it's something I have said many times it is like having an argument with somebody but having an argument today and if you win the argument today you have to have another argument tomorrow with somebody else it's because playing a tennis match is one-to-one combat and uh, it is your mind against somebody else's mind it's your ego against someone else's but equally your psyche and the weaknesses are on display and that's why it's such a clever sport and that's why it's such a successful um uh sport spectator wise because people will go on that emotional journey with you Mm. throughout the course of a tennis match but that player is going through huge amounts of emotion riding up and down through a match and matches can last three three four i mean look at the men's now five hours plus what have you Mm -hmm. in best of five sets so you are going on enormous stress it's like a roller coaster ride of stress and you know you might get to a game point and then you've just broken serve then you've got to protect your serve and then you're going to go through it again you might have the first set and then you go on an up and a down and that audience is going with you on it but also you know they might be disappointed in what's happening because you're just showing weaknesses because you just double faulted on a big point Do you know what i mean so yeah. there's enormous stress that goes on and i remember at one point just thinking oh, you know, this wasn't quite what I what I set out to be. And I'm not yeah. sure I want to live my life like that.
0: Not what you signed up for? It,
1: yeah, it wasn't really. And, um, and yet, you know, like I said, the travel and the experiences are amazing and they strengthen you. Mm. I think when you go through difficult times, and I would say that in my early 20s, when I did decide to stop, that was the most difficult time of my life, even to this day. Really? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was like... Yeah, I mean to make a decision like that that you're going to stop something that you've done since you were a kid but you're also going to disappoint probably a nation a little bit and then your parents maybe even though they were very supportive of me deciding to stop then my coach and then all the people who've invested in you it was quite a big decision. Was
0: was there any sense though that you might make a comeback you know given Um, how young you were? Was Was that ever
1: in the back of your mind? Yeah, a couple of times I did sort of I didn't pick up a racket for two years, and I was hugely relieved. It felt like this massive weight come off wow. my shoulders. But um, then I slowly picked up a racket again. I started to enjoy playing and hitting. And then there was one time when I, I did go and play in a national competition, just to thought, I'll just go and see what can happen. But I did know straight away that um, it wasn't, wasn't for me. And, of course, you know, I then... I mean, I got into all sorts of entertainment TV. Mm. I was doing things like treasure hunts and magic shows. And I did theatre. I did pantomimes. I did murder mystery musical plays. I just explore, explored life. And I had a great time socially. New, socially and having friends was what I loved. And I loved connecting with people and meeting people. And I was kind of making up for a lost mm. childhood in a way and a lost... You know, when I look at my own kids and the parties that they've been to as teenagers and now into their 20s, and I thought, wow, I, you know, I just, that was just, that just never happened and never existed. So, Did that not that it... I'm a party animal now, because I'm absolutely not, but, um, you know, I definitely have enjoyed friends.
0: In the Pink is sponsored by Bose, who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivalled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level. So you'll always hear exactly what you want, no matter where you are. Also be heard like never before with their unrivaled four microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first of its kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning and never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life they come in black and silver so you can work them around your style your little fashionistas and you can treat your ears with the bose noise cancelling 700s it's a sound experience like no other now back to the interview yeah i was going to say because it does feel like quite a lonely existence being on the tennis tour. In fact, being any kind of sports person, you know, and I look at Formula One as an example because so many of the young drivers, male and female, start karting when they're three or four and then they do live in this kind of bubble Bubble. and Mm. it's very strange because they don't have that many friends, I mean they try to take some Mm. with them wherever they can and that's kind of like a safety net for them but it's impossible, nearly impossible to have a girlfriend, have a wife you know, you're constantly travelling 21 different races in one year it's a similar kind of thing in tennis isn't it? And it it must feel a strange existence because you're kind of, your colleagues are your mates but but for you, as your opponents, you make a similar kind of thing in F one. I don't know, yeah, whether you're. I suppose you're closeted from the real world to extent, but that doesn't actually serve you any good in the long run because you're not exposed to the things you need to be in order to grow up in the yeah. real sense of the yes. word.
1: Yeah. I, but but was it was it lonely? Did it feel lonely at oh, the time? Oh, it was terribly lonely. I mean, I remember um, hanging out at uh, well, you used to get red eye planes across America because they were cheap and they were in the middle of the night or Greyhound bus stations at four oh, o'clock Greyhound. in the morning. Oh
0: My God, I did that on my gap Yeah. You know, like, yeah,
1: I was doing like hours gray-
0: on a Greyhound bus, hours
1: on a Greyhound bus station, but i'd turn up at like three in the morning and be there with you know drug addicts and alcoholics and you know very dark kind of places and i used to think wow if my parents knew i was doing this but i was just saving money to get across to the next tournament which Mm. might be i don't know a four five six hour bus ride across america but i look back on it it's weird because i was about 16 17 when i was traveling across um america and around the world quite often on my own um And I sort of think, wow, we're so mollycoddling of our own kids. And I couldn't imagine doing that with my own kids. But that was fine back then. And I was so determined to, to kind of go it alone and do it. Um, but it, You feel like you're wrapped in
0: cotton wool on a tour like that, but actually you were exposed to a lot that most kids well, wouldn't be. You
1: just, it probably you know, made you grow up a lot in a different way. It does make you grow up a lot, but it, I do remember also like booking... Of course, we didn't have mobile phones, You didn't have internet, yeah. so you were having to spend hours on pay phones to try and book your next flight to get to the next tournament. Um, and I just remember occasionally staying in these like horrendous kind of like cheap hotels with... You put 50p in the slot and you know, um, get the heating on or whatever. Um, But, you know, it was quite lonely and I'd take a book down to dinner often. I have very many Mm. vivid memories of just many evenings spent with a book. And I did take sewing, believing it or not, like um, tapestry sewing, which I used to love doing. Um, But I used to spend a lot of time, yeah, just on your own eating. And that's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm big into family meals and sitting around a table, enjoying food together because I think it's a huge part of what humans like to do. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting around a campfire or you're at a dinner table at home or in a restaurant. I think it's a big part of sharing food together is massively... um, enjoyable but it's also really good for your spirit and to sit and eat on your own is awful and even to this day when I see somebody in a restaurant on their own it breaks my heart I really don't like it, it I want mean. to go and in, invite them over to the table because it's probably just, like I'm fine love don't worry yeah, they usually are but I mean I don't I just definitely my heart does go out to people when I yeah. see them sitting on my on their own I don't like it
0: so then the transition after retiring which just sounds crazy to say at 21 but you did retire at 21 um the transition into uh, the wider world uh, it sounds like a fun one. you certainly did pack a lot in um well, you still are i mean um but but did you ever kind of look backwards? Did you ever kind of think i've made
1: a mistake? do you know what never no. it's really weird isn 't it i, I never, know you said you' no regrets, but yeah I never ever to this day it was like you know I think when you know you're on the wrong pathway. Mm. You're so there's something inside you that tells you you are, and your instinct is very strong, and I think I did listen to my instinct. But it took me about two years to make that decision, mm. believe it or not. But once I made it, well, you started
0: it, thinking about it when you were like 19. Yes, definitely. Wow, God, yeah. so you
1: hadn't been doing it for very long. Well, no, five been, years. I was sort of playing professionally from the age of 15 Mm. so my first Wimbledon was 15 and then you know I'd been traveling internationally and representing Great Britain since I was 12 so you know childhood was not normal I mean schoolwork was just completely put on the back burner it just didn't really exist from about 14 or 15 and um, you know so yeah. I mean, everything just changed, didn't it? So, But I've never regretted it for a second. And I think once I went down a different pathway, and I look back now and I think, God, it's actually quite scary to do what I did now. I'm not sure if I'd make that decision now. I'd probably like work around it and try and keep doing what I was doing. But Because um, I think, well, you'll be mad. Because I didn't really have any education to back me up. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And all I did was just hit the phone. I started making lists of um, people I thought I should contact just to try and create opportunities and I was incredibly fortunate that um, a TV company which was a program called Network 7, it was a Janet Street Porter program, a production uh, called Survival and they wanted a female to come on this program and go and live on a desert island in Sri Lanka uh, with three men and one of them was a Parkhurst prison inmate, one was a city stockbroker uh, called James Vincent and then Simon O'Brien the actor from Brookside and the four of us were sent out to this island and we literally were just dumped on the island with, believe it or not, a machete knife, a live chicken, a tinderbox and a roll of loo paper. <laughs> still remember it so clearly. And you know what? I absolutely loved it. And I was living like a cavewoman and it was getting quite a lot of publicity back in the UK. So it was on the front pages of some of the papers, which we were unaware of. Uh, anyway, we survived the island. This is the before island.
0: the time of social media and all that. Yeah, that we way, that way yeah. before yeah. it.
1: And... Um it was through doing that programme, and I have to say I loved it because it was great fun, I enjoyed like meeting these people I was with, hearing all about their lives, which were all completely different and very fascinating. And of course, many, many years later, one of the producers on it came up to me, and I'm talking about 20 years later, and said, you do realise that that was the original version of Get Me Out of Here, mm-hmm. because what you see now is the souped-up version with you know a studio and... All the kind of uh, bells and whistles that go with that program, but ours was the like, rawest version yeah, that you could of imagine. any reality show. Really, I can't think, I think it probably was. Yeah. I mean, it was so long ago. I was twenty one when I did it, and I had only just uh, come off the tour. And um, yeah, so it was um, yeah, it was a, so an amazing. How long amazing... Were you out there for? Oh, it was about I probably overall about two weeks, but it was i mean if you can imagine today being dumped in a forest or something with nothing but those items that's quite raw i mean it sounds yeah. weird but there's not even a camp you don't you have see, anywhere I, to i go think to the you're a lot tougher
0: than a lot of people realize i think like you've got inner steel yeah,
1: I and think i think that probably do.
0: probably did come through playing tennis and being yeah. as you were traveling across yeah, america so. as a 15 year old
1: yeah, I think so. But I mean, it was inc- when I look back on it, it was hilarious because we were sort of like, you know, it was getting dark at about five o'clock in the evening, and it was like, right now you have to sleep a night in a it's like a jungle kind of atmosphere, but with no camp. There was nothing there, so it was either like oh, you God. lay on the floor. <laughs> And, just, and there was like monsoons coming. And we were just roaring with laughter because we got absolutely drenched. And then it was like, right, we need to learn how to get our camp off the mud and off the floor of this jungle and get up into And we started building a camp. And it took us, I don't know, a few days to get a camp so we could sleep up high without all the bugs and snakes and God knows what oh else was down there. But anyway, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And... I loved it because it was very raw. It was like being a cave woman, and um, yeah. there was no light. There was no credit cards to get you out of anything. There was no money. It was just amazing, amazing experience, and I loved it. And um, through doing that experience and the publicity that that got, which I was totally unaware of, um, the producers of Treasure Hunt then called me up. I and, uh, loved that show. Oh, it I remember good. that show. <laughs> oh, well, that was a long you time ago. Should bring that back. Well, I think they have brought it back a couple of times. You should. Well, I don't know. It was years ago. It was so much fun, and um, I was unbelievably fortunate because Annika Rice, who had done Mm. the programme for many many years and had been a huge success, she was an amazing uh, Skyrunner, and of course she was pregnant, and the I think she was unable to film it. Obviously, being up in a helicopter and the insurance that goes with that so I think it was a very last minute decision to um suddenly like bring in somebody and I was just so lucky that they asked me to do it because that again was an unbelievable experience which came out of the blue And it was just, I was just so lucky. You know, it was just like something, one thing bounced onto the next, and then it just opened up so many avenues and opportunities. And I I look back now and I think, how did that all happen? Yeah, I I don't really know how it happened. But also, you're doing
0: yourself a slight disservice here because, of course, these opportunities presented themselves, but you grabbed them. That's the crucial thing. And I think your attitude to just go for something. I don't know many 21 year olds that would agree to being dumped on a Sri Lankan island with nothing. I don't know. I mean, I like to think I would, but. I imagine you doing that. I <laughs> yeah, but see you doing but that. I think it's very different nowadays. As you say, yeah. TV's changed, social media's changed, yeah, everything's we've changed. all changed. Yeah. To do it back then, I think, was very brave. Yeah,
1: well, and, maybe. I mean, it and, has changed. And very a lot. cool. Like a really cool thing to do. In a weird way, I'd like that somewhere deep in my attic are VHS tapes Amazing. of that show. And I ought to try and find them at yeah, some point definitely. because my kids would love to see it because <laughs> it would be quite funny to sort of look back on it. But, um, you know, I just think it was. It was actually a really uh, important part of my <laughs> cleansing of like going yeah, into yeah, a yeah. new new domain and yeah. sort of getting away from worrying about forehands and backhands and stress levels to playing matches. It mm. was just, um, it, was, it was a good time. It was fun. I, I
0: do think with professional sport, you know, it can be all-consuming and it's very difficult to see that there is anything else mm. out there. Whereas when you're exposed like that and you've got... You've you basically just got to survive. I know it's only two weeks, but two weeks is a long time when you've actually got to like yeah. kill and cook your dinner and yes. you know not get swept away by yeah. by a monsoon or whatever. Um just going back to something you were saying about the, the tennis tour, then your experience of it. How much do you think of that? Your description of that applies now to the the current tour. How many how many young mm. women do you think? would say, actually, I can identify, empathise with with what Annabelle said?
1: I think, and and I men, think quite and men. a few of them really, would, actually. Yeah. Anyone who's read Andre Agassi's book, which was an amazing book, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the title, is it Honest? That's it. it Honest, is. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was shocked when I read, I mean, I think it's one of the most fantastically written books, and it could mm. be, it will apply to anybody who's not even interested in tennis, they will get something out of that book. It's a beautifully written book but um, I was astounded that somebody of that calibre who had won so many Grand Slam titles and was at the top of his field felt pretty much the same way that I felt and I did not achieve what Andre Agassi achieved and um, I identified with everything that he was saying, it was everything I felt about being on the Mm. tour and I was shocked as I said that he felt that way. So, you know, it it, it was interesting. And I think for me, when I'm now watching youngsters coming onto the tour, part of me wants to protect them because I think, oh, gosh, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? But, you know, everybody's different, aren't they? Everyone's character is different. And I think Mm. you need to be able to uh, understand what you're doing. And now when I hear some of the players talking, like I've heard Joe Conta talking a lot about process and trying to separate Um, your emotions from what's going on and I think there is a lot more help psychologically with the tennis tour now and I think uh, I've heard her saying if you live and die by results you're going to be in a terrible place and I think that's spot on because um, you need I mean even um, Rafael Nadal talks very much about trying to become a better tennis player and not worrying about whether he's trying to win the tournament so every time he's on court he was very difficult thing to do plays in the moment. And he just worries about how he can improve himself for that moment in time. And of course, if you have that attitude, you can apply that to anything in life, without thinking too far forward or back. But that's mm. very difficult in tennis, mm. because you're always worrying about the score lines. But so presumably,
0: you know, the score will follow if you get that right. Exactly. So mm. if
1: you can just be in the moment, and you're just worrying about what you're doing for the next point but of course we're emotional human beings so you can start letting a run of points that's just happened mm. start to affect your confidence and you start to doubt yourself and then you and then it affects the next run of points forward so to try to forget what's just happened and not think too far ahead and not think too far behind and be just in that moment of trying to be better in the next point is a very very difficult thing to do and that mm. takes actual mental training in itself but you know, and then
0: particularly if your opponents doing exactly the same thing, so you may wow. have improved. Yeah, you may you may do a glorious return, and they step up. Yeah, that however much you have, you still lost the point, and yeah. that would be soul destroying, wouldn't it? It,
1: it is, but it's about um, accepting the challenge that's up ahead, accepting the challenge, and that's very difficult because again, if your mm. ego is involved and you're you're kind of wound up by the character of the person and everybody's personality is different on the court. That's why it's so fascinating because you get fiery ones and ones that want to poke all the buttons that get under your skin. There's ones that kind of psychologically are trying to unravel you. And at the end of the day, after all these years, you know, when I, we started our chat talking about Richmond Park and when I watched the deer rutting every October, I always relate it to tennis because at the end of the day, it's the strength of that character That will always shine through on a in a sporting contest. So it doesn't. They've all got good forehands and backhands. They've all got great techniques. There's very few weaknesses technically. It will always come down to the animal kingdom of who's got the stronger character. And I guess that's the same when I watch the deer rut. Bearing
0: all that in mind. Do you think we need to be a bit more forgiving when there's perhaps a bit of bad behaviour on court? I'm thinking of someone like Nick Kyrgios, who's obviously a great talent, but comes in for a lot of criticism by the way he behaves. You know, as you say, the spotlight is on them and it is a massively mentally tough uh, encounter. So should we give them a a little bit more leeway?
1: Um, You know, with Nick Kyrgios, he is so unbelievably talented. Mm. I mean, I watch him, it's breathtaking, the talent that he has, but the kind of behavior that he has put out where I've seen him spitting at umpires and screaming and swearing at his mother. And, you know, I mean, he's, it's pretty awful, his behavior. And I would love to sit down with him and chat to him and just, he needs to go and do some yoga and chill out because I think he's a very, very tormented soul. And I think the pressure really does it spill over and he cannot control that behavior. And there's deep rooted something going on inside him that needs to to kind of have more respect for the opponent and what's and the and the whole authorities around him because um i think it is unacceptable the way that he behaves Mm -hmm. sometimes and i i think what's sad about it is he has so much he doesn't realize that so many people are behind him Mm. and so many people want him to do well because of the talent it's so breathtaking the talent um, but you know the spitting at umpires in in the umpire's face, and you know some of us done st- throwing ch- chairs around, and you know I've seen him like denting courts where you know the the groundsman and the and the you know people who've made that court what it is, and to spent all year on that court trying to make the centre courts and the courts that mm. he's playing on beautiful mm. it's a total disrespect for the people around the sport, and I think he's somebody that I would say needs to almost take himself away from the sport to just grow up a bit and mm. mature to understand again what he's trying to do on the court
0: mm. I think you'd be a brilliant mentor to some of these uh, younger players maybe um, that's what you did do part of I your tennis academy <laughs>
1: maybe or, you know well I try and you know I've done a few parent um chats and things with the Lawn Tennis Association I've definitely gone back I'm going back mm. today funny enough to um mentor a few of the youngsters with the media and what have you so I've I'm doing that a little bit later today but um, I do like to try and pass it on but of course everyone's journey is their own journey mm. and sometimes that's just what life is isn't it if you just tell everyone what it's about that's a bit boring you know you kind of have to live it yourself you have to discuss like bringing a child up isn't it yeah. you, kind of, you can't just keep on saying oh well you're it's like this and it's like that. Because actually part of the fun of the journey is actually mm. experiencing it yourself. And, you,
0: and there isn't a one-size-fits-all. There isn't a manual no, that no, you can follow f- for life generally. Um, who impresses you in the way that they handle and manage the stress and, and the well, pressure? it's
1: impossible not to say Federer. Mm. I mean, I've watched his whole career. I remember interviewing him when he was about 16 or 17, the first time I ever saw him. And the way that I've watched him manage all the pressure and the expectations and actually to a massive extent Andy Murray Mm. even though he's had his sort of roller coaster ride and his honesty and how he has sometimes you know blown up with emotion but you know certainly with Roger Federer there is he has still retained such a joy for the sport he just seems to get what he's trying to do and he's unafraid to go where he needs to go to find out whether he's good enough. He's not afraid to put himself on the line and he's unbelievably brave in the most pressurised moments. And I think it's why he's had such huge success in the sport. Uh, But it's not to say I wouldn't put uh, Djokovic and Nadal as well into that category alongside with Murray as Mm. well with what he's achieved because they're all great, great champions but they're great warriors on the court. Um, And of course, you know, you have to mention... Serena Williams with 23 Grand Slam titles I mean I know she's had her meltdowns and there's mm. been a few moments where it's just been un- I mean just quite unbelievable what's happened with her on the court but you still have to admire what she has coped with with the, with the pressure that she's faced as well.
0: Yeah 100% and, and and again it's because that these meltdowns are so visible you know because I'm sure everybody has them behind closed doors uh, should we forgive her just because the fact that they're out in the I mean in a way it's quite endearing strangely because you yeah. say I'm prepared to share this with you.
1: I think with um, Serena, I think what's happened lately and, you know, we saw her losing in the finals of Wimbledon this year to to Halep and, you know, it was so clear that once again that pressure of trying to equal Margaret Court's record of 24 Grand Slam titles just got too much for her. And I think that's four Grand Slam finals in a row now where she just hasn't been able to cope. But, you know, I think, I th- well... You know, who knows? I mean, who knows what she feels like when she walks out onto court trying to... I mean, no one has that kind of pressure on their shoulders to try and do what she's doing. It's unbelievable. I mean, Federer is ahead of everybody at the moment with his 20 Grand Slam titles, but... um, And still
0: going at 39. I I mean, I can't believe it.
1: Uh, No one can believe it, but he's almost uh, like the uh, Pied Piper of tennis, isn't he? I mean, he's... Well, the Peter Pan of tennis. I mean, he just he still remains young in his body and how he seems to just still keep going without injury. But, you know, for Serena, I think she's carried for injuries and it's more difficult for Mm. her with her body's broken down a couple of times. But emotionally, I think it has spilled over a few times where she's needed to take a look at herself, I think. Mm. Right, now we have a chance
0: to win and win big because you have the opportunity to walk away with a pair of Bose noise-cancelling headphones the 700 series, worth around £350. Wouldn't that be lovely just before Christmas? All you have to do is rate, review and subscribe. Leave us a review on the In The Pink podcast, on Apple Podcasts and on our Instagram page. We will pick one. Doesn't have to be sycophantic, but that always helps. Uh, Make us laugh. Give us some feedback on any of our guests and we will pick someone to walk away with those headphones. Uh, do you feel like there's a bit of a changing of the guard now with tennis? I'm thinking of like Tsitsipas. Oh, I, had to say his yeah. I have to say his name. I've to say his name on Sky News quite a lot, and you know, yeah,
1: it's a difficult one. Quite, quite tricky <laughs> really to difficult. get your mouth
0: to get your mouth around that one. But do you feel like you know, obviously Roger is still playing and you know, incredibly well. But do you feel like there is a new generation yes. coming through now, which oh, kind of is reinvigorating
1: is. the sport? Oh, definitely. I mean, Tsitsipas is. Um, no, no, you said it. Yeah. Well, I, sort I of, keep saying titsipas. I not know. Of well, somebody <laughs> told me that you write sits s i t s and then ipas, I but pass. but you put the t in front. But you just it's sits it's ipas, sitsipas. And once I learnt that, then I now know how to spell it because otherwise I was having a real problem with it. But he is a massive star, mm. and it's weird, isn't it? We always say this about stars. You always think, oh, what's going to happen when one disappears and you know hangs up their racket? Where's the next one coming from? And they do just appear, mm. and he is. Mm. Come like this shining light on the sport, and he is just so charismatic. He is so charming, and he's going to be a great communicator. He's like an old soul. He is extraordinary, and he's a beautiful player to watch. You know, the talent is so flowing, and um, and also he's so developed already as a player. He's he's had the benefit of the latter part of Federer's career to already have learnt from Federer and the way that he plays Mm. but to have it so young and um, oh, he's amazing, I've never seen anybody quite like him burst through actually, it's just the way he communicates as well I find it extraordinary because he's the same age as my youngest child and I try and Picture her going out into grand stadiums of 20 plus thousand people and being able to talk the way that he talks to the public. It's just incredible.
0: Yeah, it really is. Mm. Do you? Know, and this might sound like a slightly random thing to say, but one thing I find would be a big psycho- psychological challenge in tennis is the fact that you go into a tournament and part of you is planning to be in one place for a period of time, mm-hmm. you could go out in the first round and then suddenly you're looking for another tournament. Yes. It's like a bit of a conveyor belt. Yes, it is. And and how difficult is that to kind of get your head around that you could be in one place for a couple of weeks and make great progress in a tournament or you could just be out that night and then have to find... Because yeah. presumably you you're, then have to keep right. topping up the levels of Yeah, you of have playing. to either
1: practice, which is pretty boring, Yeah. or you decide to stay on at the tournament you're at But then if your next tournament is in a different time zone, you're better off getting across to it quickly and then adapting to the time zone quicker and the conditions in that next tournament because they might play with different balls and a different surface it might be or the humidity might be different, which completely affects all of the conditions. So, yeah, it is a total juggling act. And I think um, for me personally, who'd been a sort of a winner as a junior, you know, winning you know national competitions and junior wimbledon and junior australian open grand slams and then transitioning up into the senior game you're not used to losing a lot Mm. and so that for me was when i look back where i'd like to have got that balance a little bit better where you're pushing yourself up against the very best in the world in high level tournaments against all these top you know top ranked pros but of course i was losing a lot and suddenly your confidence was being hammered And I'd like to have mixed that a bit more with lower level tournaments where you retain some kind of confidence about your ability. Mm. But I think I went straight from juniors into playing, you know, top high level ranked people quite quickly. And then I had too much high expectation without understanding that there is just a a kind of a flow through that you're going to learn a lot. You're going to lose a lot. Don't get down beaten about it, you know. You know how to learn how to take the the knocks and the losses, mm-hmm. and then build yourself back up. And I think that balance I didn't get right. And I think now that's the job of the coaches and the management team to get the balance right. right of way how. I mean, it's a really, really important part of development of a of a young player.
0: And presumably not overplaying because you don't want to risk injury. You don't want to be yeah. playing in sort of lesser tournaments just for the sake of getting caught time well
1: the other thing is you know it depends on the player themselves but some players like to play a lot of tournaments and they then build their confidence through matches Mm. and lots and lots of matches and then they kind of like peak at a certain time but other players don't need so many matches and they get too worn out emotionally because there's too much emotional energy going into matches so everybody is different and I guess that comes with experience doesn't it so you know players learn what works for them and what doesn't i mean i've heard fedra saying recently i like now each year to slightly change my schedule and i'll add an extra tournament that maybe i've never played at before just because at my stage of my career i want to try something different and why and, not and yeah. why not yeah. if i've never played you know in I don't know what you know. On somewhere. that little island in Sri yes, Lanka, exactly, exactly, somewhere where he's never played, then he'll go and play there. But um, I think everyone's different. But you, I think, at the end of the day, you learn that experience counts for a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder what has happened to that little island that you stayed on all those years ago. I wonder actually. You should go back there on yeah, holiday. Yeah, I know. Lovely.
1: It would be interesting to know. Yeah, it would. But, yeah, There's probably a in my attic. Oh, I'd
0: love to see that. Yeah, That'd be, be great. Quite funny. Yeah. Um, how impressed have you been with Andy Murray's comeback? Because I know you, for one, didn't think he meant retirement at the time. I know a lot of people mm. were kind of waxing lyrical and talking yeah. about him like he'd already left the sport. Yeah. And, and he, it, you know, to come back from surgery to do what he's done this year, he, he's, he's clearly impressed a lot of people. Uh,
1: how about yourself? Oh, it's just been unbelievable. I can't tell you. I mean, it's weird how when you watch him and, and for me, having watched him since he was about 17, um, you know, that character is so strong on the court. He is such a phenomenal Character on the court mm. is there so much strength there psychologically he beats most players before they've even walked on the court. How does he do
0: that?
1: It's a presence that he has. It comes back to that animal kingdom that I was talking about, and um, you know he just has this ability to get under the skin of opponents because they know that he's not going away uh, competitively. He doesn't. He doesn't give you a cheap point ever. So you have to fight for everything, and that wears somebody down psychologically. And even though, of course, there are levels that he can still get to to get to where he was at, but already he's playing top 20 tennis. And, um, you know, to have won that tournament in Rotterdam and beating Stan Wawrinka and... um, You know, just the type of competitive rallies that he's already been playing. And to see him moving, the way that he's moving with a metal hip, it's just incredible. Um, So I actually think he's going to do really well. I think he's not done yet. I think there's still more to come from Andy Murray. I think it's going to be tough um, to say exactly if he can win a Grand Slam. I mean, that's going to take for a lot of things to fall into place, Mm. isn't it? Because, Mm. you know, to win slams... As he's done three times, he knows he's got to win seven matches, best of five over the course of a two-week period. Depends what the draw is. If he has some very tough back-to-back five-setters, then it just becomes tougher, Mm. I I imagine, with what he's having to do with rehabilitation and um, all of the rest of it. But you just never know with slams, do you? But what I've learned over the years, you don't ever underestimate a champion. Mm. And, you know, with the likes of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic and Murray... With the amount that they've won in their careers, you you know every time they walk on court, they expect themselves to win. And I wouldn't imagine that Murray is coming back just to take part in it. No, I think he's coming back because he believes that he can compete and and win.
0: Along with Bose in the pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision, and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast. Because most of the guests share that sentiment, so plenty more to come from Maury. plenty more to come from Annabelle Croft as well. Oh. <laughs> what what what's in the pipeline? Because um, you, you are you are incredibly busy. I know. I, I said I was going to come back to this earlier in the podcast. You are in incredible shape oh, and look wow. amazing. Well, I know your you, modesty. I, I, no, 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 I, I very, know your modesty you. will prevent you from really engaging yeah. in this question. But I I, I am interested to know. Um, you know and i know a lot of men and women will want to know. fitness is very important to you but you you take quite a holistic approach to very your much life so, yeah um just explain why that has always mattered to you and and why it works for you and any tips that you can share
1: you know i absolutely love the holistic approach to life and um you know homeopathy path homeopathy I was gonna say homeopathic uh, Home. world mm. that's a big part of my life actually because it helped me enormously when I was younger I was back in my 20s and I had a cyst On an ovary and um, I hope it's not being too graphic here but it was incredibly painful I was fainting once a month and I mean the pain was excruciating and way back in my early 20s I had had endometriosis which is a big subject today for a lot of women Mm. and I did have a small operation on that and then as I said years later I had this cyst that appeared on an ovary and it was so painful I thought I was dying at certain points.
0: So was this before you'd had kids? Um, the endometriosis, yes, so you might have thought you yeah you I thought I w- have i kids. well I
1: didn't realize at the time that that was the case, so wow. I was very very lucky that I had somebody that dealt with it quite quickly, but then years later I had oh, I had three children That's amazing. and um very fortunate because i've got got friends children that I know that have had have suffered terribly with endometriosis, and it's a big big problem for a lot of women um And anyway, so then I had this uh, cyst appear and then I was in excruciating agony, I can't tell you. And a couple of times my kids nearly had to call ambulances because I was in so much pain. I thought I was dying. (laughs) And um, Anyway, I went uh, for a walk with a girlfriend of mine who is a trained homeopath and she said to me, you need to see my homeopath. He's like the guru of homeopaths. And she can sort that out for you. And at the time I'd been seeing some doctors who'd said, oh yeah, well we might have to operate and... uh, You know, they'd scanned it and everything. And anyway, I went to see this homeopath, Hilary Dorian, who is an amazing woman, many years ago. This is like 20 years ago or something. And she put me on these remedies and she said, I need to clean up your liver and we're going to get the hormones back in June. And we're just going to do everything slowly. She said, I can't say I'm going to fix this in one week. But your body will start to take over. And that's the thing about homeopathy. I think people, I mean, I hear so many people just disregarding it and saying there's no proof in it. Well, the only proof that I can have is that I took these remedies. I did what she said. It was a very, um, there was a little bit of uh, Chinese medicine in there as well. And I took some tinctures and things, something called Agnes Castus every day, which was quite revolting. It's like Chinese herbs. But um, it's still in my cupboard today, actually, because I I occasionally take it. Um, And it totally cleared up my skin which i'd never had a massive problem with my skin but i noticed a huge difference in how my skin was Uh, it completely changed how it looked and uh, cleared up any spots or anything and the spots on my chin were coming from the ovary so if you ask any chinese medicine you know or you look into it obviously your skin is the biggest organ in the body And it displays things that are going on internally. So the whole thing made total sense to me. And what she explained to me was that symptoms for anything are a very positive sign to a homeopath. Because they are, that is the body speaking. So when symptoms appear, it's your body telling the world or you that something is going on. So if you just treat from the top and just plaster up those symptoms, you don't know what's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. But if you try to find the root cause of what's causing those symptoms, the symptoms will dissipate and go away. And so that makes total sense to me. It's like a, such an obvious thing to yeah. look at. And when it actually is explained to you, mm-hmm. it's, it's very obvious. And of course, what she did was get to the root cause of what was causing the cyst. And all of the, my symptoms literally disappeared overnight. And... um some of the other symptoms took a little bit of time but um, exactly as she said over a period of a few months they all just disappeared and so I realised that she had treated it properly Mm. (laughs) it had gone and your body then takes over so of course I've sent all my kids to the to homeopathic treatments you know every time they've had a cold or a cough or a sore throat and I love the whole ethos of what homeopathy is and but I'm also interested in all approaches holistically to health because one thing that always troubles me is the fact that you know the medical profession as much as I love it and I appreciate what they do they don't look really at nutrition. It's not a part of the training, I believe, is what I've been told. and um, Or if it is, it's a very, very small part of it. But to me, nutrition and the way that you eat, we are what we eat. Of course we are. That's how we survive. Mm. So you can change things naturally by what you're, the nutrients that you're putting into your body. But I think what's more worrying about life today is that the soil is so depleted of nutrients. So, even if you're eating lovely, healthy looking green beans, the nutrients may not be in those um, green beans. And so, generally, food is very depleted of nutrients. And we need nutrients. We're lacking in a lot of minerals. And, you know, sometimes I've gone to my homeopath, Hillary, and said, Oh, I've got really bad cramps in the middle of the night. And she'll say, Ah, you might be magnesium deficient. And then I'll take some magnesium supplements and the cramps will disappear. And actually, for a lot of women or men out there who suffer very badly from, like, waking up in the night or bad, in fact, I know you've had sleeping Mm. issues, Mm. well, magnesium can help enormously with sleep deficiency. And in fact, when I've taken magnesium, and there's a certain one that I take, and it's helped enormously with sleep problems. And I wake up refreshed with a deeper sleep, don't wake up as often. And, um, you know, I'm just really interested in the whole subject of health and nutrition and a holistic approach to yeah. it because it makes total sense to me
0: it really and you you just described it brilliantly because I couldn't agree more that if you've got a cramp I think the natural reaction is to go and take a painkiller for that pain yeah and all you're doing is you're masking the you're problem masking it. and actually you're putting something probably pretty grim into your body yeah, in the well, process you're,
1: what you're doing is layering the body and exactly. a homeopath will say you have to look at like an onion yeah and if you're getting on to later life, and you're layering up your body with so many painkillers, anti inflammatories, medical stuff. In t- lots of medical yeah. stuff. The, the which,
0: antibiotics, you know, yeah. when you're drilling those into kids. That yeah. can't be great, can it?
1: no i don 't think it is, and I from what I understand, uh, the Scandinavian approach to children 's health is they don 't give out antibiotics straight away they just don 't it 's not mm. part of what they do, and I believe we 're trying to change it here in mm. this country
0: there definitely seems to be a movement to that effect
1: yeah, and you know because I was going back to the skin, you know the skin is the biggest organ, so when a rash appears mm. on the surface. That's a really positive sign to a homeopath because they're going, God, that's the body getting it out. It's trying to get out of the body. flushing it out, yeah. Flushing it out and trying to get it out completely. Whereas what we do is we're going to put creams and cortisone and, you know, stuff onto it, pushing it back into the body. Mm. And then the body's very clever. It will push it back in and travel across the body and it'll come out somewhere else and it will go deeper into your system. Mm. So what a homeopath will do is try to find out... Your health history, and then work from the top layer and start unpeeling from that top layer of the onion. And what a lot of people do is they start to give up because they go, Oh, well, that didn't work because I then got this other symptom. Well, that's what's happening, it's coming through, Mm. and you're going to get rid of it and unlayer it to take it back to the original point of what may have started some chronic illness. And, Mm. um, you know, I think it's really fascinating. And you mentioned Sitsy Pass, I had a long chat with his dad who knew one of the most eminent homeopaths and naturopaths in uh, Greece where he grew up. And he told me, my children have never been vaccinated. They've never had a single, um, you know, they, we, they do not believe in any of those anti-inflammatories or painkillers. They are totally pain, you know, cl- clean, you know, they don't have anything. He doesn't believe in it. And um, he was really, really interested in the whole subject. Wow. Mm, Which I thought was, it was very reassuring to me. Because I thought, oh, well, I'm I'm not completely on the wrong path. No, God, no. And do you know, it's
0: interesting about the skin thing. Because I remember, this is going back to my early 20s. I remember um, getting eczema. I'd never had eczema in my life. Never had anything. And I had a bit of IBS. And I think, well, I didn't know what it was. Anyway, I was like, I think all too often we try to power ahead and we try to suppress Whatever it is that we're feeling. Anyway, um, long story short, I went to see all sorts of different people. I was putting creams on the this eczema. I was like, Why am I getting eczema? I you didn't get, get asthma it. as well. You? No, I didn't get. I didn't get asthma. But anyway, it all went back to this. I saw this one guy who was like, "Have you had anything sort of a bit traumatic, but stressful happen yeah, in it's the last? Emotional. It's all linked." Yeah, and I is. went, "Oh my god!" And I was so. I just wasn't willing to admit that I was stressed and that I was upset yeah. by something X-Men that had happened. to
1: stress. Yeah,
0: and as soon as I then dealt with the core issue, everything else cleared up. It does, it just... But instead, all these other people were trying to
1: put cortisones and yeah. all the creams, creams on top of which it, which will then in turn the cause something else further down the track. And I think, um, you know, when I see people with psoriasis, I have a, a great yeah. cameraman friend of mine, she has terrible psoriasis and he's always buying... Um, you know, stuff in America when we're over there. And I'm always saying to him, oh, please try try a different approach. But I don't know whether he has or not. I'll have to ask him. But I did pass on one tip and I'll I'll pass it on here because why not? Um, And it was Novak Djokovic, actually, who put up an Instagram post about celery juice. And I'd never heard about this celery juice phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, this is my little secret. I'm going to let you into a secret. Um, The medical medium, who's somebody that I'd never heard of, uh, I think helps him with all his health and swears by drinking celery juice every morning. Anyway, I then click on medical medium and I thought, I want to know more about this chap who helps Novak Djokovic. And the more I read about him and the more that you look at what he does with health, and it's all about natural health... It's quite, I mean, it's phenomenal how many people he helps. Millions and millions of people and hundreds of thousands will be going through his timeline saying how much this celery juice has helped them. Anyway, one of my children had the most horrific, like, cluster of warts on her elbow and it literally was disgusting. It looked like a looked like a cauliflower but yeah. with lots of, like, well, you know, different parts of on her left elbow. It was absolutely was horrific. And we'd had it burnt off professionally and then it came back twice as big. And then I went to a Chinese um medical place and they said, Oh, you must never just chop these things off because it's a virus. It sits mm. in your gut mm. and if you take off the top layer, it's like the branches of a tree, it will just grow through twice as big, which is exactly what happened.
0: Yeah.
1: And honestly, she couldn't go out with it. She had to put a plaster on it, it was embarrassing. She looked Aww. like she had a deformed elbow. Anyway, the more I read on this medical medium website, I was also at the Instagram page. um, I thought, well, actually, what warts are is the HPV virus. Mm. So for any parents listening out there, I mean, even your own kids, they Mm. may one day pick up warts at school or whatever. Mm. They're horrible. I had no idea they were the HPV virus. And she'd had it for eight years, this great big unsightly thing on her elbow. Anyway, I thought, you know what? Stuff it. I'm going to go and buy a masticating juicer. I bought a cheap one because I thought, well, who knows? It probably won't work, but I'll give it a go. And I went and bought bunch after bunch of celery, (laughs) juicing it away in our kitchen. And I never thought my daughter would drink it, but you have to take it first thing in the morning before you put anything else else in your stomach. She drank 16 ounces of it every day. Within two to three weeks, the thing had... Well, it's completely gone. No. And if I showed you the pictures, you'd be quite shocked. And I do show people a lot because... They can't believe that what was there and now that it's completely disappeared. And I'm like, well, this is really, it's a bit freaky because it was so enormous and very, very thick and very protruding, but it's completely gone. So I take out of that what you will, but if you look on his site, he will help acne, he'll help psoriasis, eczema, lots of skin conditions, and then many other chronic ailments. So... I don't know. There's something, there's something put in put celery anything, juice.
0: Do you put anything else in it? You literally well, just,
1: just p- bunches of it. I mean, my, I've left it out there. You'll see it in the kitchen today. My other daughter was drinking it this morning. But um, yeah, you just do a bunch of celery every day. But you, you can take it with other things. But, sh- but to, to attack uh, an ailment, you need to drink it pure. And it's something to do with the cluster salt that's in celery attacks the, um, the viruses that are sitting in the gut. And it pulls them all out. And it... Oh. I think it takes all the metals out of your system and all the toxins and everything. And I have to say, if you, if you drink it, you'll be needing to go to the loo pretty quickly. It's, oh, really? um, flushes it flushes out your whole out. system. Yeah, that It's amazing. amazing. But anyway, amazing. I thought I'd pass the tip on no, because I'm there delighted. might be people that listen who have awful ailments and don't know what's going on with their body. But Yeah, it,
0: definitely, because I think you definitely go through life just going, well, this is just what I've got. Yes. Do you know what I mean? You go, oh, yeah. I've always had backache yeah. or I've always, you know, suffered yeah. from headaches, whatever. You shouldn't have to put up with it. No. And actually, if you just maybe take a different approach rather yeah. than going well, to think your GP, it's interesting. And, because really well, interesting.
1: When we finish this podcast, I'll show you the pictures, and I think you'll be quite shocked.
0: I will. <laughs> We're we going to see now. Yeah. it actually feels like a good what? good place to go finish get, the. I can, I
1: can go and get my phone. I'll
0: I'll, I'll describe them to you in my next <laughs> podcast. I'm sorry, guys, but you can't actually see these pictures. <laughs> but I'm very excited to see them. <laughs> Annabelle, what a pleasure it is to see oh, you. And it's been a pleasure. you know, I feel
1: very I, indulgent just talking about myself. It's a bit. Are odd, you joking? No. You've, you've done.
0: You've you've shared. Your experience, which then I'm sure will help others, not just oh, in tennis, so. but the, the, you know, the wider world, and oh. particularly that last little tip about yeah. celery juice. Oh, well, Have well, thank days. you, thank
1: you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much. You.
0: Thanks so much, Annabelle. Really enjoyed talking to you. Um, so interesting to hear your take on life growing up under a lot of pressure as a sports star. Loved hearing about the homeopathy as well, certainly, very interesting to me and my family at the moment taking a more holistic approach to everything about health and diet, particularly as my mother-in-law is undergoing chemo again, poor thing is on a a really tough journey at the moment, so we are paying a lot of attention and interest uh, to diet, healthy living, and uh, you certainly gave us some great pointers, so thank you Annabelle. Uh, Please do rate, review, subscribe, let us know what you think, you could be in the chance, in with the chance of winning. A pair of Bose 700 noise-canceling headphones, which would be lovely before Christmas, wouldn't it? So, yeah, lucky dip going on for that. Just leave a review, and we could pick your name out of the hat. Okay, loads more interesting guests on the way. We're going back to the boys very soon. We've had a run of very strong women. Now back to some cool blokes, including the two Jameses, Mr. Haskell and Mr. Blunt, James Blunt and James Haskell. On the way very soon on In the Pink. Rate, review, subscribe. We'll see you soon.